We're the Valentins. And we are passionate about people. Every human was created for fulfilling relational connection. But that's not always what comes easiest. We know this because of our wide range of personal experience, as well as our years of working with people. So we're going to crack open topics like dating, marriage, family, and parenting to encourage, entertain, and equip you for a deeply fulfilling life of relational health. All right, babe, we're on. All right. Welcome back to Dates, Mates, and Babies with the Valatins. Episode 20. Here we are. Um, Jay and I are are so glad to be with you guys. This is this is honestly one of our most fun projects that we are working on in life right now. It just is so fun every time. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about wanting to dive into this topic, and it's going to sound like a downer on the surface. But honestly, it's just such a common experience for, honestly, humans. It's just part of life. And there's parts of the human experience that that really take a huge toll, can take a really huge toll on our relationships. And one area that tends to just totally wreak havoc on our most intimate relationships is unprocessed pain. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to dive in and talk about that today. Yeah. I love it because here's the thing. Every single human being on the planet is going to go through pain. And that to me is not like this downer. It's just a fact, right? Like all of us at some point, our parents are going to get older. They're going to move on to heaven. Mm -hmm. We're going to experience uh, things that we really wanted to work out that didn't work out, whether that's the baseball team that you wanted to be on when you're a kid and you didn't make the team Mm -hmm. to a girlfriend or a boyfriend that you dated, like that that didn't want to keep dating you. All of us are going to experience pain Mm -hmm. in our lives, but not all of us have been given real good tools to actually process and work through pain. And therefore a lot of people are walking around just with this backpack full of unprocessed, painful experiences that have happened in their life. And then we get into relationships and the relationships feel really challenging, Mm -hmm. not because of what's actually happening in the relationship, but because I brought in a whole host of pain from, from other sources. And so, yeah, it's just so awesome because we don't have to live like that. Right. Yeah. I think so. When we say pain, because the thing is, is I actually don't know that, I don't know that people on average, honestly, even know how to identify that they are in pain. And that sounds pretty silly. Like maybe I could be wrong about this, but I really feel like as a coping mechanism, people walk through hard stuff. Like humans are, are by design resilient Mm -hmm. and by design there were wired to move through life. Like it just doesn't stop. And so a coping mechanism, not, not an unhealthy coping mechanism, but in, in an attempt to just be able to move on, people are just kind of forward driven and you wake up the next morning and whatever the day holds, you handle it or or you find a coping mechanism for it. And I don't know that, like you said, I don't, most people aren't taught, you know, when they're young, hey, when you experience hurt or when you walk through trauma or when you experience 
disappointment or when there's hardship that comes your way, here's what you do. Mm-hmm. And in a really effective process type of way. Yeah. And, and because we're not really taught how to do that and because hardship in life to some varying degree is just part of the human experience, I don't know that people even know how to categorize those kinds of experiences for themselves and be able to identify whether they've processed it or not. Like, what do you mean by unprocessed pain versus pain that you have effectively processed? Yeah. And how do you know if you have that? It's such a great question. Um, Because man, going back and just digging around in your past, is there anything in here left over? Like you're going to find all kinds of things that you actually really did that aren't affecting you today that are just back there. There's so many things in life that we don't remember happened to us, but we're disappointing, you know, and we just kind of took care of it. But to me, unprocessed pain is pain that's affecting your life today. And so for instance, I am, I am making decisions that I wouldn't otherwise make except for I am in pain. I'm trying to escape. So overeating, um, binging porn, um, excessive alcohol use, depression where I'm, I don't want to get out of bed, mm-hmm. anxiety. That, that is all unprocessed pain. All those things are in the unprocessed pain category. Mm. These uh, really negative cycles, right? So my trauma is unprocessed pain. I, am, I have the, all these triggers in my life. So I, I, when I'm going on a date with a girl, I, have, I am projecting on her my past relationship. That's unprocessed pain. <clears throat> I haven't actually gone through and worked through and disarmed a whole bunch of those triggers. I'm, I'm still living in my old reality today. To me, that's a clear sign that you're, you're still in you're still in some trauma. Um, you know, it's, it's people who come back from war, right? And they're, li- they're not living in war anymore. They're living in peacetime, except for I'm living in a dual world. I'm still traumatized by what's happened. I wake up with nightmares. I have anxiety all the time. Um, I have some, maybe some depression, PTSD, post-traumatic stress. And in a world that doesn't actually have that. And so again, un, a whole bunch of unprocessed pain, unprocessed trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that when you stop and, and look at it, like it's the, the guy or the girl that moves from relationship to relationship to relationship that can't ever have a break, right? There's nothing and we see that a lot, like somebody who always has to have somebody in their life. Well, why are you making that decision? It's, it's pain. Um, it's unprocessed pain. Most often it's, I can't be without somebody. If I'm without somebody, all my insecurities come up, all of my, I don't feel worthy of love. I don't feel worthy to be pursued. And so having someone in my life makes me feel worthy of being pursued, makes me feel worthy of love. You know, I'm trying to prove that I am enough for guys. You know, I'm trying to, I keep, driving to the top of success. I keep trying to find somebody to affirm me to, I'm overly competitive. Oh, what's behind that? Mm. Unprocessed pain. 
it's the, I never, you know, there's tons of different scenarios for it, but it's the, I never heard my dad say, I love you. So I'm still trying to perform for him. Never felt like I was enough. Still trying to perform for him at work, working my fingers to the bone. You know, why are we workaholics? Unprocessed pain. Mm. It's crazy. When you start to break it down, like it, unprocessed pain drives so much of our lives, the decisions that we make, the things that we choose to do. And I think ultimately when you get the thing that you want, but you're still not happy, what was the real motivation to get there? So when you climb to the top of of the success ladder of a friend who's was a billionaire, he got, he climbed all the way to the top of, of the success ladder financially and still was unhappy. Mm -hmm. Well, what, what was driving him? A whole bunch of unhappiness. He didn't obtain wealth from a place of real satisfaction, real joy, right? It wasn't the overflow. People get into relationship, right? They get into a, a, a marriage and they're still unhappy. Well, what drove you there? Or they, they get into dating somebody and they're still unhappy. Well, you started out from a place of unhappiness. I, th- I actually think this is really important. You started the pursuit trying to fill a hole mm-hmm. instead of starting from a whole place and working out of that unprocessed pain, you know, having kids because your marriage isn't doing good and you want something to bond you closer together. And then you have kids and you're like, wow, I'm experiencing a real negative. Like, this is really hard for us. Like, yeah, well you did. You started from a place where you weren't super connected. I see how couples do it all the time. Mm -hmm. You, You didn't start from a place where you're really connected, where you're really happy and close. Kids didn't come out of the fruit of your relationship. They came from a place of, you were feeling a real lack, so you had kids, and now your relationship's more challenging. Mm-hmm. You're working from this deficit. So many of our decisions are coming from a, I'm trying to medicate this pain, I'm trying to find something to make me happy, and instead of understanding like, no, happiness comes from the inside out, not from the outside in. So I think it would be safe to say maybe something that people could relate to or like a phrase that somebody could hang their hat on with this subject would be something like you have to actually do something with your pain. Yeah. Proactively. Yeah. In order to make it work for you instead of you work for your pain. So pain, we want to get to a spot where pain is not our driver. Pain is not our boss per se. Pain isn't making our decisions for us. Avoiding pain is impossible. The human experience is Mm -hmm. full of pain. But if we know how to process our pain, either past or current, I would say people can be in very current pain. And maybe we would call that like grief. You know, do you know, do you understand how to navigate through a grief process? If there's something hard or painful happening in your life currently, but that either way, whether it's past or current pain, that we would understand how to move through an actual process in a way that builds who we are on the inside and strengthens our bonds with the most important people in our lives. So that what we've walked through and what we've learned in our process can work for us instead of we work for it. Yeah. So pain is a driver, right? It's not a driver too good or too bad. It it has momentum with it. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Pain, <clears throat> pain has this voice. It says, do whatever you have to do to fix me now. Um, you break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and there is mo- momentum, there's motiv- motivation to fix. I want to fix this somehow, right? It's where most people make a lot of mistakes. We just talked about that. And the real question that I always like to ask people is, what is your process for dealing with pain? What did you do with your pain? Mm-hmm. I was talking to, um, I was doing a podcast the other day with a um, really, really famous guy in the hunting industry, non-Christian, cool dude though, and really tough military, ex-military guy. And we were talking about about this exact topic about men and how so many men are are really depressed and just tons of pain. And I asked him, I said, I like to ask this question to people, what did they do with their pain? Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you do with your pain? And he laughs and he swears mm-hmm. and he says, ah, I go work out a bunch. And then my next question is, is that working? Right. It's not a horrible thing to do, right? No. Like going and working out. Of all out, coping mechanisms, that's a pretty healthy mm, one. It's it's one step. The challenge is, is when you finish lifting weights, are you left with the pain still? Mm-hmm. That's the real challenge, right? So, yeah. you know, you can go and hang out with friends because you're in a lot of pain, but then when you come home and you turn the lights off, did that actually take away the pain? Mm-hmm. If... And for sometimes it does, like if it's not a man, if you are just feeling lonely and you go and you hang out with some friends, like that's cool. It, it, you know, sometimes a little lonely, like not big lonely. Does anyone ever know me? Like I don't feel known, but like, I just feel alone today. Mm-hmm. Hey, going and hanging out with friends can solve that. Or man, I feel really unmotivated today. That's a small amount of pain. I feel really unmotivated. I feel really bored with my life. Am I going anywhere? Lifting weights can sometimes... Like it's like making your bed in the morning. Yeah. Making Mm -hmm. your bed in the morning. Like, Oh, I feel proud of myself. I made my bed. Like I'm, I am going somewhere in this life, Mm -hmm. but working out doesn't solve the, my wife wants to leave me. Right. My kids aren't happy with me. Mm -hmm. I don't feel worthy of love. Mm -hmm. It's a good first step into yes. Releasing endorphins into your brain and getting out of depression and going, I need to do something with my life. Okay, I took the first step, right? I'm, I'm physically moving. Mm-hmm. But I think that everyone listening to this podcast right now, what I'd love them to do is pause this mm. and actually write down, what is my process for dealing with pain? What's the real, what's my real process? When I'm in pain, what do I do? Because it's such a gift to actually find out for yourself, what have I been doing this whole time? Where have I been putting it? Mm-hmm. So how much pain are you in and what have you been doing with it? Have you been putting it in a closet how, or have you really been working all the way through it? Um, what would you say, babe? What was your process growing up for dealing with pain? Well, I have, I have really compassionate parents. Yep parents who know how to emotionally connect with me. And I always felt really validated in whatever experience I was having. You know, I felt very championed as a kid. I felt celebrated when I did something amazing. I felt comforted when I needed comfort. So 
in that regard, I think I've always, I've always known how to validate pain, uh, which I'm grateful for because I think that's an important step. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not, you know, I wasn't shown or told to shove it or walk it off, walk it off. Or, you know, I've had really compassionate connected parents, but I can't say that I knew how to proactively move through it in a way where it became like a good fuel to a fire or like a tool in my tool belt or a, you know, a milestone that I'd overcome and you know, we talk in our culture about how, you know, as overcomers, whatever it is that you do overcome, you then gain authority in and you can mm-hmm. help other people. Like, I wouldn't say that I was really taught how to do that in a practical way. Um, so if, you know, it's funny that you, I think at the very beginning, you gave an example, like almost like an off the cuff, silly example of like, you didn't make that team. But I remember probably one of the most Probably that my most vivid memory of a disappointment that I experienced as a kid was in sixth grade. And I mean, good grief. We could probably talk a long time about the pain that happens in junior high school because I feel like that's just kind of a cruel time in a it's person's real. life. It's so hard. I think I cried every day of sixth grade. I'm not kidding. It was like one of those years where you move to the new school and everybody from the elementary school kind of went different ways. Some, there was like three different schools you could have gone to for junior high. And my closest friends all went to a different school. So I had friends and acquaintances that went to my school, but not my best friends. And gosh, I just remember that being such a brutal time. Well, on top of it already being like a not fun transition, I tried out for the junior high cheerleading squad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a sixth grade girl, you're trying to find your place. You're trying to find, you know, where do I fit in this? It was a decent sized school, big school. I'm trying to make friends. I'm trying to figure out who am I going to be and what am I going to do? What am I going to be about? Anyways, long story short, I did not make that cheerleading squad. And it's the first it's the first, um, it's the, it's the most vivid memory that I have of, um, like gut wrenching disappointment. You know, I cried and cried and cried Mm. and I was so sad. And I, I don't know that I could tell you like, why did it feel so high stakes? I don't know. I don't remember, but it felt very high stakes. And I know that it was, it was really connected for me, like in my mind and in my heart, it was really connected to my value in that space. And so, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a pretty vivid memory that I have. And I remember distinctly getting in the car after finding out that I did not make the team. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mom being super sad with me, which not everybody can say that they have a parent who can enter into those moments with them. So I realized that was a gift. Um, but I had no idea what to do with my disappointment. I think whether consciously or subconsciously, I was taught that you just, it gets better with time. And to some degree, I think that's true, yeah. right? Like the sting of a disappointment mm-hmm. wears off. And 
you know, <laughs> I can actually look back at my life and feel grateful that I didn't make that cheerleading squad because if I had been a cheerleader in junior high, I probably would have wanted to be a cheerleader in, in high school. And if I had been a cheerleader in high school, my friend group would have been completely different. And if my friend group would have been completely different, I honestly, I think my whole life would have been different because I attribute a lot of the path that I ended up on in life because of my friend. I, I attribute yeah. a lot of that to friends. So I guess I'm saying all of this because, yeah, I, I was taught that time heals. Mm-hmm. And I think it took me a long time to... It, it took me a long time to break up with the idea that time heals. Yeah. Well, I do think that time is a time is a revealer, mm-hmm. right? So if you take a seed and you plant it in the ground and you water that seed over time, you figure out like what what really is exactly. that seed, right? Like, oh gosh, that's poison oak. Yeah. Which you have right now, by the way. Yeah, I'm currently <clears throat> actually scratching which you're not supposed to do, but I'm in a, talk about pain. <laughs> I'm in a lot of discomfort. Yeah, you are. Northern California, poison oak is a and real go, deal. Oh man, that's the wrong seed to be playing with. Right. That poison oak seed's nasty. Mm-hmm. But time on its own doesn't heal. Otherwise people in prison would be the most whole people. I mean, they all they have is just time, just that's tons right. and tons of time. But the cool thing about what you experience with your mom is, I mean, one way that we process pain and we're not going to go into all of it right this second, but one way that we process this pain is talking through it, right? With your mom and she's sad with you and she's in this moment where, wow, we're just, we're just sitting in it. We're just experiencing this real disappointment and you get to actually verbally and emotionally sit in the sadness until you no longer need to. And when we'll go through, um, probably in the next podcast, we'll actually get dive into like real steps. Yeah. But I just love that your mom did that with you. It's part of what made it better is that you didn't just hold it inside. I didn't you, feel alone in it. No. And you were actually able to talk about it with your mom. Yeah. Um, and I think too, you know, I, <laughs> I remember the comfort that comes from somebody being able to say, I know you don't understand, but this will work out. You're going to be okay. I think that is invaluable. You know, it's invaluable. So, uh, you know, for people who didn't grow up with anybody in their corner, I think that that I might have not had an actual process for how to work through the pain, but somebody saying to me, this will work out. You're going to be okay. Was enough that I didn't choose more harmful coping mechanisms. Yeah. Well, if you have, if you were given the message right by, by not making the team, you're not good enough. But then the most important people in your life that counteract that message by sending you messages, you are good enough. Yes. Constantly. Then you're the, good at all <clears throat> these things. Yeah. Then the, the ultimate driver of the pain, right. Of not making that team is really negated a lot by your parents going, Hey, maybe you didn't make this thing right here and that's okay. Mm-hmm. This isn't going to be in the, the world. I understand it's really painful. I'm sitting with you. Mm-hmm. Most of our, of what's driving isn't actually the, the experience of, oh, I didn't make the team or, Oh, my girlfriend broke up with me or my boyfriend broke up with me. It's the message behind it that never gets answered. Right. 
And so I'm stuck living with this message. It's on repeat my whole entire life. And I don't know how to shut it off. Mm-hmm. And that becomes, you know, this, these hundreds of messages has become like overwhelming. Yeah. I'm stuck in this. And so your parent, you grew up in a home where your parents were sending you positive messages right. on a regular basis. Right. Not that there wasn't other painful things that you had to walk through and live with, sure. but for the most part, you grew up in a really positive environment, which yeah. give you high self-esteem and high it, yeah. out of your high self-esteem, you know, you you have improved behavior and you just go through this positive cycle, right? Yeah. Where a lot of, a lot of people don't go through that. Right. So you were, you were lucky on the contrary. <clears throat> um, my eighth grade year, we went to, I don't talk about this a lot, but we drove to um, the Bay Area and we went to Six Flags. Mm-hmm. It's like a roller coaster rides and stuff like that. My parents took a, our, my whole eighth grade class, which was 12 of us mm-hmm. in a 15 passenger van. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to a small Christian school and <clears throat> I remember driving home from the, uh, roller coaster rides. We stopped in a little town called Dunnigan and got some gas and got back on the freeway and we started to drive home. And there was this guy who um, was just really weird. Like he got in front of our van in this old beat up Ford truck mm-hmm. and slammed on his brakes. Right. And so my dad like swerved around and we're like, wow, that was really weird. And whatever, we're just no big deal. And we keep on going down the freeway and then he comes up again and he tries to like run us off the road. And we're just so like, crazy. what the heck? This is weird. And so my dad swerves out of the way, misses him, and then kind of like punches it, you know? And we're going like 100 miles an hour now down I-5. And in a van. In a van. In a 15 chased. passenger van trying to get away from this guy. We're just thinking like, what is some stupid teenager, some stupid guy, yeah. like what a jerk, you know? And all of a sudden the guy comes up on our butt. Now we're doing like 115 and he's so close. I can't see his bumper out of, and I'm looking out the back window. Mm. And then, I mean, it's just one thing after another 45 minutes goes by and we have been stopped in the middle of I five while this guy tries to ram us. We've been up to 115, 120 miles an hour, as fast as a van will go. Mm. We have been chased off the side of the road into the gravel as far back as you can see, their traffic is stopped on I-5. Wow. All traffic is stopped. And this guy is just... He's trying to kill us. He's wow. literally... All the, all the kids in the van are just screaming, right? Bloody murder. <clears throat> They're screaming. I'm trying to hold it together. The girls are all screaming. We have a tire iron. You know, my friend's a bigger kid. He has got this the tire iron um, to, to change the... the bolts on the on the um for a tire he's got it in his hands and 45 minutes into this we're still in the middle of this race because uh, chase because we don't have any cell phones it's 19 right. what 1992 or three or something mm-hmm. there's no cell phones so at one point this guy got in between our car and this bad guy right mm-hmm. and he's trying to like help play interference for us and trying to help buy us time so we can get away mm-hmm. Well, we could never get away. And then that car, that guy left. We didn't know what he was doing. You know, like no one else would really help. Mm-hmm. And what can anybody do? Yeah. What, what can they, I don't know. And so, um, my dad had heard God tell him everything's going to be okay before this even happened. Mm-hmm. 
like right before he he heard this, God told him there won't be any harm of life. And so he's like, that was kind of weird. And then boom, right away, we're in this chase. So uh, once again, 45 minutes in, we are going, this is the, the, so one of the last thing I remember is we're going like 115, 120 miles an hour down the road. And we're, I'm just emotionally exhausted. My friend's laying on the ground screaming for his mom. And we fly past this highway patrolman who's got this guy pulled over. And so my dad slams on his brakes. And he starts, uh, slams on the brakes. The, the highway patrolman starts running across the freeway. And then he turns around. He realizes, I don't have my, I don't have my car. Like his first reaction was to like, my dad slams on his brakes. This guy like slides sideways beside us. The, the guy, um, no, sorry. The guy chasing us. So that's when the cops started to run across. Well, my dad then looks uh, over and the guy who was chasing us is out of the, his car and he has, because we stopped in the freeway, he's jumped out of his car and he's screaming to the cop, they have my daughter. He's out of his mind. They have my daughter. Oh, wow. So the cop's running across the road thinking my dad kidnapped his daughter. Wow. So he gets in his car, then his cop car, and he's he cut he gets in front of my dad, but this guy who's chasing us is now behind the van and he's putting his hands up through the back window, right? We just they had those little window poppers. Mm-hmm. Um the not where the window rolled all the way down, it was kind of open. Yeah. And so the girls in the back are screaming, he's coming in, he's coming in. So my dad puts it in reverse and is you know, trying to like run over, get the guy off of the back of the car. And so the guy lets go. And then my dad puts it in drive to try to get away from him. And as he's putting it in drive, the cop is in front of my dad with his gun drawn, pointed at his head and he's screaming, stop or I'll shoot. But my dad's driving like he's, you know, we're only doing like five miles an hour, but it's backwards trying to get the guy off. And then it's forwards peeling out. And the cop said, uh, one more time, he said, stop or I'm going to shoot you in the head. And for some reason, my dad slams on his brakes and he looks and the guy's pointing his pistol at him. And by this time, another highway patrol had come up and they arrested my dad and they arrested this guy. Right. And they didn't I mean, know what was going they on. didn't know what was going on. So my dad almost got shot. We almost got ran off the road for an hour and a half. I'm looking over here and this guy's screaming while he's, while he's, um, handcuffed they have my daughter all the girls are screaming in there because they're afraid that the cops can just like give them a random girl you know they're 12 years old 13 years old they don't know right crazy 13 14 it was the most traumatic experience like if i went through that today it would be so traumatic you know somebody trying to just run you off somebody who does something stupid on the freeway it'll get your anxiety spiked even here right it's not fun when somebody's a jerk and they cut you off or they follow you for a minute like this guy tried to run us off the road for an, an hour and a half. Wow. And then my dad almost got shot at the end of it. We get home. It's crazy. I almost start crying even thinking about it. We get home and no one even says much to us. It was just, this is how, this is how violent this whole time was. The tires had chunks of rubber peeled out of them, of our car tires. All four tires had to get replaced. All the brake drums were cracked in half on our van. The, all it had to be completely redone. That's how 
intense this car chase was, which is a picture of what happened to all of us kids. We got back home and no one actually sat down and said, hey, let's like, I never talked to a counselor about that. For the next year of my life, I would do car rides at night in the back of the car with my eyes closed because any lights that were behind us, I was terrified that that guy was going to come back and hunt us down. I mean, in my mind, that's what he was doing. I was so completely terrified. And it's opposite to what happened with you. Like you had your mom that kind of sat in that time with you. And of course my dad sat through tons of pain with us. They didn't understand trauma Mm -hmm. back then. Let me interject for one second. We have a, a psychologist friend who was talking to me once and gave me a definition of trauma that I've found really helpful. She says, trauma is too much too soon out of your control. Yeah. And sometimes people think, well, I've never really been through trauma. You know, I've never been abused or I was never, I was never abused. I was never, um, I didn't go through anything traumatic, but then you go, wait a second. Have I ever been in a situation where I felt like it was too much too soon out of my control? Oh yeah. Tons of times, honestly, like most of the days with, with our kids, like (laughs) we'll go through stuff that I feel like is too much too soon out of my control. Well, you're going to internalize that in some capacity. You are in, you know, it took me years to, I mean, that was a lot of the trauma that happened in my past. There's a lot of trauma from honestly, like demonic stuff that happened growing up. Um, just being in the church, watching people manifest demons, crazy things like that. All of that trauma in my past didn't get processed until I was much, much older. And it created so much anxiety in my life that I had to learn how to cope as an adult because I didn't ever learn how to process through what I'm experiencing right now isn't coming from right now. It's coming from way back then. I'm experiencing tremendous amounts of pain from all of this unprocessed trauma that happened in my life. There's a 12 year old or a 13 year old that feels really unsafe that is still living in my 15 year old body. Mm. I don't know. I don't even have words for that. And um, I remember one of my friends who was laying at the bottom of a van, he went, he ended up going to counseling um, for it. And I just kind of thought like, Oh, that's weird that he's going to counseling, you know, 15 years old. It kind of felt, it kind of felt weak a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, like he felt broken and we've just felt like we moved on, Yeah, but I'd never really moved on from that. And when we talk about, I mean, there's, those are perfect examples of not everyone's going to get chased off by a car, and, right. but honestly, relationships feel like that. Things that happen in people's lives are so much unprocessed stuff that happens in our life. And unless we really have a clear process for dealing with pain, you end up reliving those experiences over and over and over again, unconsciously and playing them out in your life, little and big ones. And you just end up in this world that feels super chaotic and you don't know what to do. And it feels like, man, if I can solve this relationship that I'm in right now, if my wife was kinder to me, or if my husband was more gentle, or if my kids were less chaotic, or if my work was more stable, I would be fine. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, is what you're experiencing today isn't coming from today. So much of it is coming from your past experiences that we have to really get good and work at. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, this is a this is a good part one to an important discussion that will continue next time. Um, yeah. Well, what we want to do next time is we want to give people literal steps for walking through pain. So you and I didn't have enough time to sit down and go through all of them today, but we wanted to start the conversation. And what I'm so excited for next week because we will literally give you a whole process to walk through pain. But this week, I want you to just write down what was my what is my current process for dealing with pain and how is it working? Is there different pain in my life that is unprocessed that I still need to work through? So I think it's a really good week of just becoming aware and seeing where you're really at. I think that, you know, we just kind of did broad stroke talking about pain in general and just even bringing to our more conscious minds the reality that people live with, which is past and or present pain. One of the areas where people get the most stuck when it comes to pain is the area of unforgiveness. Mm -hmm. And next week, we're going to actually start by talking about unforgiveness and what that looks like and how that plays out Mm -hmm. in our lives. And beyond forgiveness, we'll move into actually giving you six steps for effectively processing pain so that it doesn't actually become your leader, your boss, your triggers don't actually take over your world, but you can actually find a position that's really powerful having gone through something painful. So we'll dive into that next time. It's awesome. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. As always, we would love for you to um, subscribe You can rate and review this podcast. You can share it if you think that it would be helpful for other people. We love hearing from you and getting to know our audience a little bit. So we'd love to hear from you. But for now, that is all. We'll see you next week. Bye.